It's great to be with you guys today as we continue our series called Blueprint. We're looking at the Lord's uh, Prayer, and through this amazing prayer, what we learned last week in week one is that the Lord's Prayer is a blueprint for prayer. Jesus did not say, pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. He also didn't say, if you pray, he said, when you pray. So a few things we learned right out of the gate. First of all, it's very important for us to understand that, that prayer should be a central part of our life with God. But then we begin to learn that how we pray actually does matter. And that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is the only one who's truly qualified to teach us how to do that. And he does. Jesus says, this is how you pray. And we learned last week that the Lord's Prayer breaks into two halves. The first half, and it's important to note that it is the first half, is all about the glory of God and who he is. It does not start with us and our needs. It starts with God and his glory and who he is. And this is important because Jesus anchors us in our prayers in truth. The self-revelation of God to us. Uh, Write this down if you would. Weak theology leads to weak prayers. In the church, if we're not careful, we'll become so casual with our approach to God that we forget who He is. And the Bible starts us with the way we pray, with anchoring us in who God is. This is so uh, very important that we do that. In the modern church, listen, a lot of things are different now in modern churches, right? I mean, I grew up with a church, maybe you did too, that always had an in remembrance of me table at the front with some beautiful flowers on it, right? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not making fun of that. I think it's awesome because I I was saved in a church like that, gave my life to Jesus in a church like that. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't do it like that. I don't wear a suit and a tie. I got nothing against suits and ties. They're cool to me. But I don't wear one most of the time on Sundays. And you guys are pretty casual. Some of you guys look like you could roll right out of here and go fishing right now, right? You got your AFCOs and your fishing shirt on, your flip-flops. You are good to go, right? And in some ways, I think, man, it's awesome the way we do church. But what I don't want us to do is to ever become casual about the wrong things. I'm real cool with how we dress. I'm real cool with all that. But what I don't want is for us to become casual in who we believe God is, in our theology about who God is, about how we approach Him, about how we handle the Word of God. I think those things are of great importance. So I want to make sure at Three Circle that we can do both, that we can be casual in the ways that it's fine to be casual about, but I want us to be dead serious when it comes to who God is. Are you with me on that? That's who we want to be as a church. So Jesus starts us by recalibrating that for our hearts. Instead of starting with us, it starts with who God is. And it starts with His glory. It starts with an accurate picture of who He is. And what we will call this is a realignment. Now, if you drive your car long enough, your car will become out of line, right? It just happens. You're hitting bumps. You're hitting speed bumps that you didn't see in the middle of a neighborhood. Tears the bottom of your car out, it sounds like, right? And sooner or later, your car gets a little out of line. What you have to do is go to a garage and have them realign your car. That's the first part of the Lord's Prayer. It's taking hearts and minds that are all over the map because of life and the way life is. And Jesus says, before you start asking God for anything, you need to realign your life with who he is. In fact, I don't know how this works for you, but if I pray this way that Jesus taught me to pray, often because of the realignment of my heart and my mind and who God is, it will literally end up changing the way I pray by the end of the prayer. Like I was, I was going to ask for some things, and because of the recalibration of my heart and mind, I ended, up, I ended up asking for totally different things. That's how deeply this can change us. And then we see the prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We read it every week. Jesus said, pray then like this. Two things to notice there. He does not say if, he says when, and he does not say pray this prayer. He says pray like this. It's a blueprint. You have to build it out. 
But here's how we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now the point of studying this prayer is that we would pray more and that we would pray better and that we would pray more biblically, more God-honoring, more effective prayers. But when you look at that prayer, many of us may think, that this is confining. We think, man, I want to be able to pray however I want. I thought I could pray to God however I feel, however I want to pray. And, and that's actually not true. Now, that'd be true if you had a false God, and there are plenty of those. Idols, if you had an idolatrous God, if you had a false God, then you can make up the way you pray since you made him up, since you gave him his name. He's your God? Yeah, because you made him. So that's what false religion looks like. False religion says, I can go to God however I want to. I'll make up my way to go to God. But we have a self-revealing God. We don't have a God who we named. We have a God who exists and gave us his name. Amen, church? And he tells us, here's how, here's how to pray. Here's how you talk to me. And this is what the Lord's Prayer does. So write it down. The Lord's Prayer brings freedom rather than confinement to the prayers of believers. Let me tell you how this works. If you were to come to my house, you would see that the centerpiece of my home is a baby grand piano in my living room. It was given to my wife as a graduation gift from college. She had spent most of her life becoming a great pianist, and she is. And it sits, I affectionately call the grand piano in my living room the Honda Civic that parks in my house. Because everywhere we've moved, the first thing we have to do is figure out where does the piano go, and then the rest of us can live around the piano, okay? And it's big, and it takes up a lot of room, all right? But it's there, and it is beautiful. It's a beautiful centerpiece. But the thing about it is that it does not always sound beautiful. Here's why. I've been raising three kids in this house with this grand piano, and they don't all know how to play the piano, but they still play the piano. Are you following me here? So 90% of the time, the piano doesn't sound good. It's just banging away on the thing, and it's random. Oh, they can play whatever they want. There's lots of freedom, and it's terrible. You know what I'm saying? And I love them, but it, I don't even know if it can be a joyful noise. It's just straight-up noise sometimes. If you read the New Testament, you'll see the most often repeated phrase from our Heavenly Father to us as His children is, fear not. But my kids will one day say that the most repeated phrase in our house was some form of stop playing the piano. Stop playing the piano. Don't play the piano. Stop, 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 right? That's what happens in our house because it's just clanging away. But every now and then, my wife will walk to the piano because she knows how to play it. And she'll pull out a piece of sheet music and put it on the stand. And she'll sit down and open that baby grand and she'll start playing it. And it is amazing. I'm reminded of how beautiful the instrument can sound. And in fact, me and my kids will often start walking slowly out just to listen to her play because it's so beautiful. And on one hand, you go, well, wait a minute. She's playing music off of a page. She's playing sheet music. That's confining, right? She can't just play whatever she wants, my friends. The sheet music is setting her free. It's setting the instrument free to be beautiful. It's telling her when to play and what to play. And when it's all put together, it's a beautiful thing, right? We all understand that. Listen, the Lord's Prayer is the sheet music to your prayer life. It sets your prayers free. It recalibrates your heart and mind. It makes your prayers biblical. It makes it a beautiful sound to God, which He loves to answer when we pray like this. As we look at the first phrase, we began learning it last week. He said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. We learned that first phrase last week. In the same sentence, Jesus 
reminded us that he is our father, so he brings God near. We call that his eminence. And then he puts him right back in heaven. He is our father in heaven. He is transcendent. So in one phrase, Jesus says, you need to know when you approach God that he is your father. And we learned last week that the way we get to call him that is we were adopted by him. Remember, we said it's not real until you're what? In the will. And we learned last week we are in the will. We are heirs with Christ, right? So we have his name. So he is our father. So close, we can crawl into his lap, right? We can feel his arms around us. But Jesus says, don't forget that this Father who is eminently near to you is also transcendent, and He is over all, and He's fully in control, and all-powerful, and all-knowing. So when we look at that, we're reminded we have a God so close we can pray to Him, and we have a God so powerful He can do something about what we're asking Him for. Isn't that amazing? How many of you are thankful for that truth about who God is, right? Right, so Jesus anchors us in that, our Father in heaven, and then He says this, He says, hallowed be your name. And we're going to look at that phrase today, hallowed be your name. The centerpiece of that phrase is the word name. The name of God is the centerpiece here. Now, I don't want us to ever forget how awesome it is that God has given us his name. Write it down. God has given us his name. We don't have a force out there. Like We we know that something and someone made all of this. Even great scientists will tell you. That's why they came up with the phrase intelligent design. Because you look at the universe, it looks like someone made it. And we all go, we know who made it. Someone made it. This isn't all an accident. It's just too precise. It's too obvious. It's too beautiful. Even great physicists and the whole bunch, they go, yeah, it looks like someone made it. It's because someone did make it. But we as believers don't have just some unknown force. We don't call him the man upstairs. Nothing do I hate worse than to hear a Christian call God the man upstairs. Folks, you have a God that has given you his name. Call him by his name. It is personal when you give someone your name. And God throughout the Bible has given us his name. And we're all called by different things, right? I'm called Chris, and I'm called a son, and a pastor, and a dad. And I'm called an uncle, and a cousin, and a brother. I'm called all those things. Well, in the Bible, God gives you his names. Here's the things I am. Here's who I am. He told Moses in Exodus at the burning bush, when they ask you who I am, you tell them this, I am. And he kind of breathed on on Moses. Literally, it was hard to even spell it, what he said, but it meant I am. I am the self-existing God. You didn't make me. I made you. You don't get to call me what you want to call me. I'm telling you what to call me. And then Jesus comes along and says, and when you pray, pray like this. He is the self-revealing God. Folks, don't ever forget what an awesome thing it is to be a believer in the living God who has told us who he is. God has given us his name. It'd be like if you came to my house and asked my kids, hey, where's your dad? And they looked at you and went, dad? Oh, you're talking about the man in the bedroom. (laughs) Oh, you mean the man on the back porch. Now, let's not talk like that. Let's talk like we know who he is. He is our father in heaven. God's given us his name. And Jesus also teaches us a flow to how we pray. When we start with who God is and His glory, it will naturally lead us to worship. Understanding His eminence and His transcendence will ultimately lead us to worship. So he goes straight from, here's who you really are, to, hallowed be your name. Worshiping Him. We hallow the name of God. So, since that flow is so very important, since that realignment is so important, our prayers must focus on God and His glory first before us and our needs. Jesus anchors us 
in the truth of who God is. And he told us it had to be this way in John 4, 24. He said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is how God says we must worship him, in spirit and in truth. We can't just come to God any old way. We can't make God into who we want him to be. He's the self-revealing God, the self-existing God. And he has told us who he is in his word. That's why the Bible is so important. Look, I've seen it said a hundred times in churches where they go, man, church was so good today, the preacher didn't even have to preach. Folks, that's not good church. It's just not. The Word of God is our, is our truth. It's the revelation of God. The best thing we can do is dive deeper and deeper and deeper into His truth. And Jesus says that is the anchor. And if we don't anchor there, our prayers end up being wacky, all over the place, ineffective prayers because we didn't anchor in who He is. And then we see that Jesus uses this phrase, hallowed be your name. Now what does that mean? Well, the first thing you need to know is Jesus is not making a statement here. It looks like a statement. And to us in our language, we think He's saying God is great. We think He's saying, God, your name is great, like it's a statement. But He's not. He's actually making a request. This is the first request in the Lord's Prayer. It's not a statement. Hallowed be your name. He's, he's kind of talking in a future tense there. He's saying, this is what I want to see happen. May your name be, is what he's saying. Hallowed. Hallowed be your name. And to understand what he's saying, you need to, you need to get this. Jesus is saying that we are going to get involved in this at this point. Since this is how we should pray, Jesus is saying, you're great, and we want to be part of making the world see that you're great. That's how this works. Lord, may your name be hallowed. Now let's look at that word, hallowed. Now that's, a, that's a word that we probably don't use a lot. Do any of you just use that word a lot in your life? Hallowed. In fact, the closest thing we have to it in our language is Halloween, Hallow's Eve, right? We use it then. And that's not helping us at all, is it now? In church, we don't even say that word. We say, trunk or treat. <laughs> it's trunk or treat. It's not Halloween. My kids know Halloween's the day. They go all over neighborhoods and get a lot of great candy. And when they come home, they go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Daddy comes in and gets all the good candy, all right? They do the work. I enjoy it. We all know what the good candy is, right? The good candy is the mini Twix and the mini Kit Kats. That's where the party is at, right? So the next morning they wake up and they're like, where'd all the good stuff go? And I go, hey, 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 here it is right here, baby. Thank you. I love you children for doing all that work and harvesting. The harvest was there and you brought it in. Bringing in the sheaves. Bring, okay. That's not helping us understand this phrase. What does Jesus mean when he says hallowed? Hallowed is a really old word, and it means to make holy or to consider as holy. To make holy or to consider as holy. Now let's now we need to look under the hood and figure out, well, what did Jesus mean by it? When he said we should pray like this, Lord, make your name great, hallowed be your name, then did Jesus mean the first definition there? Did he mean that we actually make God holy? And let me just make this clear. We do not make God holy. He's already holy. Now, the people who have to make a God holy are people who worship false gods. Because their gods, they made them, so their gods are not self-existing and self-revealing. And they have to make statues to their gods, which we're forbidden to do as Christians. We, we can't do any of that. We're not to make a graven image to God. None of that stuff. Why? Because he says, I don't need your help. I tell you who I am. Say, I just love this about God the more I look under the hood. He does not need our help. He's already holy. So Jesus is not saying we need to all work hard to help God get holy. 
That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, hallowed be your name. He's saying, God, you are already great, and your name's already great. Would you use me to be a part of hallowing your name, of showing the world that you are great and that your name is great? Now, that's the request Jesus is making. God, you're great. Would you make manifest your greatness? Would you make visible to the world your greatness? This is an important part of this Prayer. Why does the name of God matter so much? Here's why. Because the Jews really got this, especially in the Old Testament. They understood that names matter. Names really matter big time. Now, in, in modern culture, especially in America, we've kind of gotten away from all names matter. So, but, but in the Bible, names matter. We know Jacob, his name mattered. And, and, and then he was named Israel by God. That mattered. Abraham, they all, their names meant something, right? It's not quite like that with us. Like, I always want, I was hoping, I never thought about it. And a few years ago, I thought, I wonder who I'm named after. You know, I, I bet it's some kind of, you know, warrior from medieval times that won many battles and that kind of thing. So I asked my mom one day, I said, Hey, where'd you get my name? And I'm, I just couldn't wait. It's got to be a great story, right? And she said, Yeah, there was this good looking guy on a soap opera back in the 70s I really liked. His name was Christopher. I thought it'd be great. I was like, You're just a dagger through my heart. Are you serious? With my own children, it's kind of funny. We've got like three awesome kids, and with my oldest, Gabriel, Gabe, he's named after two things. He's certainly named after the archangel in the Bible. He's also named after Mel Gibson's son in The Patriot because that's a great movie. And Anyway, any guys in the room with me on that, right? I, I would have went for Braveheart, and Ann was like, no, we're not naming our kid Braveheart, so we went with Gabriel, right? And then my daughter Gracie's name has a lot of meaning because it is Nan's amazing grandmother, Gracie. So she's got that name, but then there's Cooper. And, and I just love the name Cooper. I always loved it. I could just hear going Coop when he's playing sports and all that. So then we started looking. We named him Cooper. And then we looked it up. And did you know that the name Cooper actually is a medieval name? And it was the guys that actually made beer barrels. That's the truth. That's what they are in medieval times. So when we have family discussions, we're like, your name, an archangel from heaven. You are Grandmother Gracie's name. We look at Cooper and we're like, all right, we need to talk for a minute, man. But God's name, God's name means something. In fact, the idea in the Bible, this is why it's so important to him, he's so particular about it, is because God's name is synonymous in the Bible with his character. This is who he is. That's why you get verses that almost don't make sense unless you get this concept when it says the Lord's name is a strong tower that we can run into and be saved. Have you ever wondered, how do I run into a name? Well, it's because the name is him. He doesn't, there's no space between his name and him. He says, this is who I am. That's why when he, it was hard for the Jews to even write down his name when he gave it to him in the Old Testament. He said, I am, this is who I am. And then Jesus in a temple in Jerusalem says the same thing. He says, before Abraham was, I am the self-existing, self-revealing God. So his name really did matter. The way people represent his name really matters. So it makes sense that at the beginning of the prayer, Jesus would say, hallowed be your name. Let's look in, at the different ways God cares about his name in the Bible. The, the first thing I want you to understand is that God is self-centered. And you go, I don't like that because we've been taught to not be self-centered. But you have to understand that God is the only being who can be rightly self-centered. In fact, he would be less than who he is to not be self-centered. 
And he knows that because he's the self-revealing, perfect, holy God, that the best thing for your life to become would be more about him rather than about you. And see, this is tough for us because we live in a culture and we live in a life where, we, where we've kind of decided we are in a movie, life is a movie, and we're the stars. And everyone else is the supporting cast, including God. Now let me make this clear. A lot of the theology that we teach in modern church, call it prosperity gospel, call it a million other names, much of it is this. We teach people that God and everyone in your life is a supporting cast to you and your destiny and your hopes and your dreams and your comfort and what you want in life. And Jesus says that's a way to really mess up your prayer life, to think that way. So Jesus says what we're going to do is we're going to move all of us off the throne and off the stage. The spotlight's going to come off of us, and we're going to put the spotlight right on top of the glory and the person of God. See how that works, church? And that leads us to a different type of of prayer life. Let's look at what God does for the sake of his name and his glory. The first thing he does is he saves us to glorify his name. God does not primarily save us for us. I know you wanted to be the center of the story. And it doesn't mean he loves you any less. It doesn't mean you're not important. It doesn't mean you don't matter to God. You do. But the overarching purpose of why God saved me and you. How many of you are believers today? You go, yes, I'm so glad he saved me. I got five. I'm about to go Billy Graham. I got not enough hands, man. Come, come as you are. If you know Christ today, if you are saved, God saved you primarily for the glory of his name. Because nothing amplifies the glory of the great name of God like people having their lives changed and people being saved. He said it. King David wrote it like this, Psalm 25 and 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Any great sinners in the room this morning? Anybody in here, your guilt was great and God saved you? And when he did, he amplified for the world, I am a good and great and merciful God. As a believer, we are called to that purpose, to glorify his name. And that's why we became believers, through the grace of God. As a, as a preacher, as a minister, as a pastor, I get to have a front row seat to watching life change in people's lives. And it never ceases to amaze me how God can change someone's life. I've watched really bad dads become really great fathers when they came to Christ. I've watched marriages that were really toxic become beautiful, life-giving marriages because of God and His greatness. We get to watch people's lives changed through Jesus. And when we see that, we're reminded of just how great God is, that God can actually change someone's life that he can actually transform people. And the Bible tells us he does it for the sake of his name. Not only that, God sends us to glorify his name. Our mission is all about his glory. Now, if we're not careful, listen, if we're not careful, we'll make the mission about us. Or we'll make, uh, churches can do this, we'll make it all about three circle. That's why we don't use language like we're, we're taking over. We're taking over for three circle. The vision of three circles taken over. I don't even know what that means. We're a church. We represent Jesus. We're advancing the kingdom, not our own. That's why, man, we can celebrate other churches. The other day, I ended up in an airport with a local pastor, Pastor Chad Stafford at Coastal. He's my friend. And we ended up in an airport together. We spent 30 minutes just celebrating one another's churches. 
and what God's doing. Why? Because this isn't about the three-circle kingdom or the coastal kingdom or any other. This is about the kingdom of God, and we're so glad we just get to be a part of it. And this mission we're on to reach people is not we can say, look how many people we have at three-circle. No, it's so we can say, look how great the name of God is. That's what this is all about. Look, look what the Bible says. I love this. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. It says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Look at this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Look at that. Everyone who's called by my name. I love this. God's saying, I've got kids all over the earth that I want to bring in. I want to adopt. I foreordained. I've, I've chosen them. I, I want them coming and I want you to go get them. It's the mission. It's why we're in Honduras. It's why we're in Costa Rica. It's why we're in India. It's why we're continuing to go forth. It's why we're in Philadelphia helping a church plant there now. It's why we keep doing this. Why? Because nothing amplifies the glory of God quite like reaching people for Him and seeing them come to Him and seeing people come to faith. It's why baptism should be a celebration because we're over and over and over again saying, look how great our God is. So the mission is all about the glory of God. And then finally, the Bible teaches us that God grows us for the glory of His name. Would you say in this room, would you say with me that you are a different person now than when you first come to Christ, came to Christ? Right? That He's a dad who develops you, who works with you, who matures you. Now, if you're a parent in this room like I am, have you ever had those moments where you're like, man, I just don't know if this is going well or not? And you have those moments where you're frustrated and you, you lose your temper. But the one thing you don't do is you don't ever kick your kids out because it was a bad day, right? You don't go, you know what? I'm going to try this with another kid. I'm done with you. That doesn't work like that. Well, God says, I've adopted you as my children. We learned last week we're really his kids. We're not just like sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters. We said it last week. It's not real until you're in the will. So if you hang out with someone's house long enough, they may go, you're like a son, you're like a daughter. But it's not real until you're in the will. Well, God says you're in the will. You're an heir with Christ. You bear his name. We are sons and daughters. And God says, and I'm not going to stop growing you and maturing you. And the reason I do it is for the glory of my name. Let's read it together, Isaiah 48. He says, for my name's sake, there it is, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. You should remind your kids of that sometime. You should use God's language and say, the reason I don't kick you out of the house is because I love you. Because God's saying here, the reason I don't just cut you all off is because I love you, but even more so for the glory of my name. He goes on. Behold, he's describing how he treats us as children, as a father. He says, I refine you not as silver, I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Now watch this. God's saying, you have my name now. I've adopted you. You're my children. And you're representing my name. Everything you do and say, everything you don't do, everything in your life is a representation of who I am. And God says, and I am going to help you get better at that. In fact, sanctification is turning us more and more into like Jesus, and Jesus is the only one who ever represented God's name perfectly well. So what God's doing in your life and mine for His glory is He's making us better and better at representing His name and bearing 
his name. And what this brings us to is kind of the glue for the whole idea. God has chosen to amplify his glory through the lives and prayers of his people. That's what he's chosen to do. Hallowed be your name. This request that Jesus is making is for God to amplify his glory through his life and ours. And this is how it works. I have on stage with me a speaker today. And if you look around this room, if you could see up into the ceiling, we have speakers in the ceiling. And uh, that's the cool thing about a dark room, dark ceiling. You can't really see it. It's all hidden, but they're there. And they're all over this room. There's a big soundboard back there. It looks like a spaceship behind you. And, and Joe and Zach and TC, hopefully TC's not running the sound. He's just sitting there. Uh, he had messed it up. He doesn't know what he's doing. But anyway, uh, they're all back there. Okay. Now, let me help you here. How many of you think our music's pretty amazing here at Three Circle? Zach and the team, right? Wow. So Zach is a great guitarist and a great vocalist. The speakers do not make Zach great. He's already a great singer. He's already a great guitarist. The speakers don't make him great. The speakers make it to where you can hear his greatness, his talent, his ability. Does that make sense? God has chosen in His sovereignty that you and I would be the speaker sound system for His glory on the earth. That's our job. When Jesus said, hallowed be your name, He is saying, God, please light my life up like an amplified sound system so the world can see and hear who you really are. That's what our lives are all about. Now, here's the thing about speakers you need to understand. Something I learned a long time ago. Because I used to tour with a music group and be a singer and stuff like that. And here's the deal. I learned a long time ago that you can be a really great singer, but if it's a bad speaker, you'll still sound bad to everyone. Like, if the speaker is what we call distorting, then a great singer won't sound good. People in the audience will think, that's not very good. If we had bad speakers, you would go, wow, Zach's not that good. And that's not true. He is good. The speaker was bad. Now watch this. The unbelievable responsibility for all of us is that as we represent the name of God and we hallow his name, that we do not distort. That we don't misrepresent him. That's why this is so important. That's why this little line is so very important because I don't know about you, but here's the truth. There's been many times in my life where I was a distorted speaker. There's been times where my pride got in the way and I didn't represent him well. Or my selfishness, or my fear, or my on and on and on it goes. There's been many times I didn't represent him well enough. But I'm thankful God hasn't given up on me. And over and over he says, okay, I'm going to help you here. We're going to tweak this because you are the bearer of my name. You're not like a child. You are a child. Whether you like it or not, you represent my name now. So I'm going to refine you, and I'm going to work in you so that you get, watch this, so that you get more and more clear in how you represent me to the world. This is what Jesus meant when he said, hallowed be your name. Do that in my life. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we're told that Jesus has this name. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, today, as our team comes, I want you to understand it is a privilege 
and a responsibility of the church to be the representatives of his name. The world's going to hear how great he is through you. The world's going to see if he's worthy through you. He's chosen to do it this way. You're the sound system. Will we distort or will we be clear on who he is? So this prayer is an amazing prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And Peter, who we all know and love, Peter, the apostle, he, he wrote it like this. He said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We bear his name. How are we doing with that? Are we clear? Do we know God well enough to be clear? Or are we distortions of who he is? Hallowed be your name.